Alexei Julius was sworn in as the Illinois 38th Secretary of State in, in January 9th, 2023. Um, we're super, super proud of him. Um, I just need to read this a little bit. You know how I feel about bios. Everybody was, can read and go look at them up, but I will say this. He is committed to transforming operations through modernization efforts, which will improve customer service, expand online services, and reduce wait lines. In addition, he is seeking to strengthen state ethics laws to curb corruption, protect your voter rights, and increase registration opportunities, and enhance public libraries to make learning resources more accessible across the state. And he's doing a whole bunch of other things. Now, I have some pre-submitted questions. I I believe he's probably going to address a couple of these in the conversation. Um, if he does, I may look over that question. Do not think that I'm ignoring your question. Um, but if you have some, you can try to get them up here. Depending on time, I want to be gracious to everyone and get everybody back to work like we're supposed to be doing. So if you have questions, um, depending on how long the secretary gets to talk. But since you all came to see him, he gets to talk today. So we'll see how long that goes. I introduce to some and present to others. Is that how we say that? Is it the other way around? Present to some and introduce to others. Again, that's cultural. You'll have to get somebody to explain that to you. Secretary of State, Alexei Janilius. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your leadership. It's great to see you again. Um, I want to thank you all uh, for being here today. It's great to see so many friends and supporters, uh, and I could not be more grateful uh, for all that you do for our city, for our state, and for being a part of this uh, dialogue. Um, I don't want to rehash all the elected officials, but I do want to thank the elected officials. I see some great friends and supporters, some civic and, and um, Chicago aldermen and, and people that I'm very close to, uh, probably closer to than anyone else. So thank you for your friendship. You guys know who you are. I also want to... Um, uh, recognize my friend Michael Fosnack, whose birthday it is today, uh, from World Business Chicago. <laughs> Hopefully that gets me out of having to get you a present. Um, uh, I also want to give um, a shout out to um, all the members of my staff uh, who are here. The truth of the matter is they do all the hard work. Uh, I am blessed with the best team, the best executive team uh, in the country. And I learned early on in my political career that you can be uh, a great elected official with horrible people around you and you'll go down in flames. Conversely, you could be a mediocre elected official and have a great team around you and accomplish great things. So I'm, I'm um, so grateful for, their, for all the hard work that they do behind the scenes, long nights, weekends, to completely transform the office. Um, I also want to thank my friends in organized labor who have been very supportive um, of me, but more importantly, I've always fought for working men and women across the state and across the country. If not for some of the folks here, and they know who they are also, I would not be the Secretary of State, and I will never forget that, and I appreciate it, and I love you guys. Uh, last two mentions, uh, my brother George Julius is here. He rarely comes to these, so please give him a round of applause. <laughs> And um, someone very special to me is also here. Somehow, Elsie found a way to sit right next to my wife. But my, uh, my wife, Josephine Janulius, is here. Um, I could not be a luckier guy. She's the best wife you could ever hope for. And I would not be able to do any of the stuff without her. So I love you. Uh, um, uh, 
I'm excited to talk about bookmans today, but more importantly, I'm, I'm thrilled to be back uh, at the City Club. Last time was he, I was here as state treasurer, um, having to go on after Paul Green warmed up the crowd. Uh, rest in peace, Paul Green. He was always a, a tough act to follow. Uh, but it's been more than 13 years since I left the treasurer's office after having uh, run as the Democratic nominee for the United States Senate. And it's an honor and a, been a privilege to address all of you as the 38th Secretary of State of Illinois and the first new Secretary of State in almost a quarter century. But as much as things have changed, I am now a married father of three young daughters. Um, there's a lot that remains the same. I was the youngest constitutional officer in the state of Illinois when I got elected at the age of 30 in 2006. And now, um, after getting elected in November, I am again the youngest constitutional officer uh, in the state of Illinois. And my treasurer's office uh, in Chicago was headquartered on the 15th floor of the Thompson Center. Raise your hand if you've been to the Thompson Center. Yes, okay. Well, today the office is located on the 15th floor uh, of the Thompson Center. It's actually the, the same exact office, and I mean the same exact office when I left this treasurer's uh, office. Nothing's changed. Not the carpeting, not the bathrooms, not the smell. Uh, in fact, the TV is the same one that I uh, paid for and installed in 2007. Uh, so thankfully, we're moving out soon and making room for Google uh, and the much-needed makeover. I will tell you, the only ones who aren't uh, happy about us moving out are the pigeons that fly through the Thompson Center and, uh, and my daughters. My daughters came and visited me at the Thompson Center. And they think it's the world's greatest place. Um, my seven-year-old Anna actually asked if she could have her birthday party at the Thompson Center. <laughs> so she could just ride up and down the elevators uh, and eat cake all day long. And I told her that would be against, I'm sure, some ethics violations. Um, it's been over 100 days since I was sworn in as Secretary of State. We recently issued our first 100-day report that all of you should have a copy of uh, at your seats. And... and I love being Secretary of State. It's a great office. It's the best job in government. And on top of the many executive branch and policymaking functions, our office is rooted in customer service. Just like a retail business or restaurant, it's our job to literally serve the public. Whether it's issuing driver's license or renewing vehicle registrations, registering lobbyists and financial advisors, signing up voters, or serving as ground zero for anyone in Illinois starting a new business. The Secretary of State's office has more interaction with the public on a daily basis than any other state agency. We carry out these duties as the largest Secretary of State's office in the United States of America, with 25 departments, 4,000 employees, and more than 150 offices across the state. That's why I am laser-focused on modernizing the office to improve the customer experience and reduce the time tax or the amount of time that people waste waiting in lines or filling out forms for basic government services. You may have seen reports over the last few weeks highlighting the shortcomings of the office's antiquated IT structure, leaving it vulnerable to massive cyber attacks, security breaches, and major outages. Sadly, we've learned that we're operating with Atari-era technology running on COBOL coding in an outdated IBM, IBM mainframe, forcing us to contract, to contract with retirees 
in their 70s and 80s because young people don't even know how to use these programs uh, anymore. Uh, we've had one individual on contract, month-to-month contract, for nine years. To bring the office's IT infrastructure into the 21st century, uh, my team and I are working with members of the General Assembly to procure the necessary funding to protect against these uh, massive cyber threats. This is my top priority. That will not change, and I'm absolutely committed to getting it done. Yes. In addition to upgrading technology, my very first act as Secretary of State, just an, after, just an hour after I was sworn in, was to sign a comprehensive ethics order to demonstrate my office's commitment to good government and to prioritize ethics and transparency in every single decision that we make. We have to build back the public's trust in their government, and I'm committed to doing my part to help do so. We also instituted a policy that prohibits employees from using state vehicles for personal use. We discovered that more than 100 employees had been using, has been issued state-owned vehicles to drive back and forth uh, every day and even on weekends. That included gas, overnight parking, and tolls, all paid for by the state. And people wonder why we hate government so much. We will continue to root out uh, these unnecessary expenditures at every single level within the office. We've also begun to incorporate elements of our Skip the Line program, and now customers at all 30 Chicago and suburban locations can schedule an appointment online, expediting their visit. There's a lot more that you can read about in the report, but just know that new technology is the key to transforming the office into what we know will be a model for Secretary of State offices across the country. I could not possibly be more proud of our first 100 days. We promised the people of Illinois a complete renewal of the office's technology, an unparalleled new energy, visionary ideas to restructure the way the office runs, innovative new policy proposals, and as you may have heard and seen, an aggressive legislative agenda right out of the box. We've taken some huge, step forward, huge steps forward, but our work uh, is far from over. And I promise you that we will continue to work hard to make all of you proud of this office and your state. Now, one of the most exciting responsibilities of being Secretary of State is the ability to serve as the state's librarian. Throughout my career in public service, I have always had an intense focus on education, promoting financial literacy as state treasurer, teaching at Northwestern, serving as the head of Illinois Community Colleges, my work with One Million Degrees, and uh, serving on the board of the Chicago Public Libraries. And as our youth continue to need help catching up after the disruption caused by COVID, I believe and have believed that libraries in every single community across the state have had an especially critical role to play in increasing educational opportunities for all Illinoisans. So imagine my surprise after getting elected when instead of inheriting a debate over what more can be done with our libraries and for our libraries, I was confronted with a book banning movement. You see, our libraries have become targets by a movement that disingenuously claims to pursue freedom, but is instead promoting authoritarianism. Tragically, our libraries have become the thunderdomes of controversy and strife across our nation, the likes of which we have not seen. These radical attacks on our libraries have divided our communities, and our librarians have been harassed, threatened, and intimidated for simply doing their jobs. The need to stand up and fight for our freedoms and our librarians, especially at this perilous time, 
for our democracy is why I initiated House Bill 2789. And that's what I want to talk about here today. This legislation, the first of its kind in the United States of America, is a triumph for democracy, a win for First Amendment rights, and most importantly, a great victory for future generations to come. Under this legislation, Illinois libraries will not be eligible for state-funded library grants if they ban books. It's that simple. This right-to-read legislation will help remove the pressure that librarians have had to endure from the right-wing book-purging organization Moms for Liberty and violent extremist groups like the Proud Boys who have directly targeted and assaulted some of our librarians and their staffs. The first of, this first of this kind of legislation is important because both the concept and the practice of banning books contradicts the very essence of what our country stands for and what our democracy was founded on. It also defies what education is all about. Teaching our children to think for themselves. If the book banners care to, they can go to our libraries and check out the Federalist Papers, the U.S. Constitution, and even Supreme Court cases on the First Amendment. What they will learn is that our democracy actually depends on the marketplace of ideas. That marketplace of ideas will not function if we ban books, because we will be doing more than just banning books. We will be banning ideas and preventing our children from thinking for themselves and having the ability to debate and learn and understand different perspectives. We will be banning knowledge, culture, diversity, empathy, understanding, and differing worldviews. Ray Bradbury, the acclaimed Illinois author who wrote Fahrenheit 451, was quoted as saying, the problem in our country isn't with books being banned, but with people no longer reading. You don't have to ban books to destroy a culture. Just get people to stop reading them. And that's where the real danger lies. Opponents uh, of our legislation say they're not out to ban books. But when individuals demand that certain books be, quote, removed from school and public libraries, that's a distinction without a difference. Just because books aren't being burned in a local town square doesn't make restricting public access to them any more acceptable. They are trying to manipulate the power of the state to support their unjustified demands for censorship and to keep your children from reading something that they don't agree with. Parents, and only parents, have the right and the responsibility to monitor the access of their children and only their children to library resources. Since when does the most upset, delusional parent on the block get to have the final say in determining what other children should learn or what books are placed in the school library? In other words, you get to decide what's right for your children, but you don't get to make that decision for everyone else's. As, uh, as the author Judy Bloom said recently, I believe that censorship grows out of fear. And because fear is contagious, some parents are easily swayed. Book banning satisfies their need to feel in control of their children's lives. This fear is often disguised as, quote, moral outrage. They want to believe that if their children don't read about it, well, then their children won't know about it. And if they don't know about it, well, then it won't happen. 
Pan America reported last week that there were more than 2,500 instances of books being banned in schools last year alone, affecting more than 1,600 different books, including many American classics, such as, are you ready for this? These are books that were literally banned from our libraries. 1984, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, The Catcher in the Rye, The Color Purple, The Kite Runner, Of Mice and Men, and I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings by Maya Angelou. Of the more than 2,500 bans, 96% were enacted without following the best practice guidelines for book challenges outlined by the American Library Association. Is it any surprise that these objectionable books are predominantly by or about people of color, LGBTQ, or other ethnicities? That they are books containing information about history, race, gender, or social justice? What are these people afraid of? That our children are going to learn that there is racism in our country, that they will learn that members of the LGBT community have been marginalized? Well, this legislation says enough. Enough of the false arguments about local control, enough of the semantics over whether book banning is really book banning, and enough of banning tools of education while not banning weapons of war. You see, I want our libraries to be the pride of Illinois. I want them to be the pride of every single big city and small town in this nation. And this legislation is a big step in that direction. And the sad, the sad fact um, is that the plague of censorship is all around us. We are lucky and blessed to live in Illinois. And sometimes we don't see what's going on right next door. Or we think that it's happening in these crazy southern states But listen to what's going on right around us. In Missouri, lawmakers passed legislation that can jail or fine school librarians who provide students with certain books and voted to fund to cut all funding for libraries in this version of the state's annual budget for the upcoming fiscal year. Every penny of it stricken from the budget. In Iowa, the governor's education bill contained measures to move to directly move books from libraries. And in Indiana, The Senate passed a measure that would allow parents to have broader powers over content and that librarians could be charged with felonies based on materials checked out of school libraries. We have to treat our librarians like the heroes they are. We cannot allow them to be victims in our culture wars labeled as pedophiles and getting called out by elected officials and harassed on social media by members of their own communities to the point that many are forced to quit the profession that they've dedicated their lives to. One of the great joys of this job has been for me to travel the state and talk to different librarians, whether they're in Metro East, whether they're outside of Carbondale, whether they're in central Illinois, whether they're out by Rockford, and they're begging for help. They have never seen this level of intimidation and threats in their lives. And all they do is take care of our kids. I remember vividly the help and guidance that librarians give that librarians gave me and my brothers as a child at the Edgewater Library in the corner of Elmdale and Broadway how to research how to find books how to be a passionate reader how to access the vast resources our libraries hold and that many children and parents don't even know exist librarians can unlock the potential each and every child has and are able to give that child individual attention and inspiration In Illinois, I will enable our librarians, and I will always fight for them, not attack them. Let's have a round of applause for our librarians.
Look, as I mentioned, I have three young daughters, and there are some books and titles that, of course, my wife and I don't feel are age-appropriate for them. But I could never imagine a world where I would tell another family what books their kids should or should not be allowed to read. What we should be fighting against is an ideological minority imposing their views, force-feeding their opinions on everyone else, and dictating what should be forbidden in schools and libraries. When I was in Springfield last week, some of the uh, opponents of this legislation made some of the most ridiculous um, arguments I've ever heard, saying that Alexei wants to introduce books on how to build a bomb, and Alexei wants to introduce pornography into libraries. That is a way to change the subject, talking about an issue that has absolutely nothing to do with our legislation. We are not telling librarians what to put in their circulation, the exact opposite. We are trusting our librarians and their expertise and educational experience to determine what should be in circulation in each library. These over-the-top arguments have very little to do with these groups' real objective, which is to wage a wholesale war on anything that smacks of anything they don't believe in. The other argument we heard in Springfield last week when it passed the Senate was that we want to take away local control. What's more local than controlling what takes place in your own household? That's actually the very definition of local control. And the ultimate irony is that by instituting more book bans, they are wanting the government to have more of a say in telling everyone's children what to think and what to believe. That's government overreach at its peak, and it doesn't add up. It's all a reminder that books carry knowledge, and knowledge is power which makes it a threat to those who want a monopoly on knowledge and want to control what people think. The dangers of individuals using fear tactics to scare people of the unknown or that which is different so that they can tell people how to think or feel is perilous. When we live in fear, we live in darkness. No light, no change, no growth. Books are a vital way to open up our minds to other cultures, religions, identities, and possibilities. Let's also remember the mental health crisis that is growing across the country, especially for our kids and our grandkids. Access to books and the freedom of expression help battle isolation. Books connect us and promote empathy and understanding and give kids a way out. We are reaching the point where hate speech is protected, but the simple act of reading a book is becoming a restricted right. It's hard and deeply disheartening to figure out how we got to this point. Regardless, it's shameful that in the year 2023, this is what we are being forced to fight back on. But we can do something about it, and we are doing something about it. House Bill 2789 establishes a clear path, opposite and away from the damaging trend to ban and censor books that a small but loud few disagree with. I drafted this legislation knowing that we cannot play defense when it comes to book banning. That's not why I was elected. We have to go on the attack. We have to play offense. We need to take any hint of censorship seriously because free speech is not only crucial to democracy, but imperative for the survival of our civilization. Now, some may say that book banning isn't worth fighting for, that we have more important issues to deal with, that these acts of censorship in certain communities won't amount to anything, but we need to ask ourselves, what's next? This is the entryway for more dangerous censorship 
and authoritarian ideas. History has taught us that. This sounds nuts, but the handmaid's tale may not be so nonfiction after all, if all these people get their way and if we don't fight back now. And if you don't believe me, let me tell you some more of what's happening across the nation. Because of book banning, school plays are now on the chopping block. This is happening across the country. Here's a couple examples of plays uh, that have been banned. Legally Blonde, Twelfth Night, the 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, and even the Adams Family, which a school board member in Ohio stopped because, quote, the theme of the Adams Family is darkness, grief, and unspeakable sorrow. These are not themes that we, as a school, should permit. So I don't think we should put it out there. This issue should have nothing to do with political party. This is not a Democrat or a Republican issue. This is a freedom of speech and a freedom of ideas issue. And I will tell you, not once during the creation of this legislation did I ask a librarian, not once, if they were a Democrat or Republican. Not once did I ask an author that we met with whether they were a Democrat or a Republican. And not once did I ask a constitutional expert if they were a Democrat or a Republican. Yet every single person we spoke to not only was in favor of this legislation, but was deeply concerned with even the concept of book banning. I'm going to give you uh, an idea of how many Republican House members voted for our legislation. Zero. I'm going to give you a guess as to how many Republican senators voted in favor of our legislation. Zero. We want our schools and our libraries to be open and welcoming settings for education, not cultural battlefields. This legislation aims to unify our communities and seeks to restore a right that some of us may have grown to take for granted, the freedom to think for ourselves. It's my hope that others may look toward Illinois and see the value in adopting our legislation as a model to stop book banning in its tracks and to protect the right to read freely and without fear of retribution. I could not be prouder of this legislation. And I beg everyone in this room to please be on the right side of history and push back against these book bans in every and any way possible. I spent a lot of time talking about this, in large part because I think about my girls all the time. And in life sometimes, there are bigger pictures that you don't realize are big pictures until it's too late. I don't want it to get too late. And again, we cannot become complacent because we live in the state of Illinois where we have leaders who will fight for these values. I'm honored to be here with all of you today. I'm honored to talk about my vision for the Secretary of State's office. I look forward to answering, uh, hopefully, uh, easy questions. Um, <laughs> and I thank you all for supporting HB 2780. So Alexi told me a few months back, I was like, are you coming? Do you want to come? You know, love to have you. And know that we don't just always like a sellout crowd. Well, that's not true. We like a sellout crowd. Um, but it's not so you guys can have, you know, Maggiano's mushrooms and chicken and lemon cookies. It is so that we can talk about these types of issues. And he said to me, I don't know if you remember, you said, well, I got something to say. When I have something to say, I'll be there. Remember that? 
And that was so perfect um, because for me, you know, a lot of us have direct access to him. But when he's talking about something like this, and this house bill is huge, I thought about, I don't know about some of you guys, well, this will ring a bell. Um, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, one of my favorite books. Um, to Kill a Mockingbird, we did the play. And you mentioned Judy Bloom. Uh, sh- the movie has come out. Are you there, guys? It's me, Margaret. Has anybody seen it yet? Well, I'm going. I don't know about the rest of you all. Um, are there people too young to know about? Are you there, guys? They might be. Um, that book was life-changing for a lot of us, right? Is it just me? So I get why you think about your girls all the time. And this is, um, yeah, I'm supposed to be nonpartisan, so I'll just not say anything there. Um, but thank you for, for taking time. Um, librarians certainly... Um, mean a lot to all of us. I remember my summer going to get my five and books at a time. Is anybody else that you got your five books at a time for the summer? Yeah, and then you read them quick and you go back and yeah. So let's get into some of these questions. Um, they're not hard questions. We never ask hard questions here at City Club. You know that. Uh, let's just start right out. Um, actually, that's not the one I wanted to start with. <laughs> the one I wanted to start with is this one. Um, Victor Salvo, are you here? Hmm. It's a good question, so I'll ask it. But, you know, I don't usually ask questions when you're not here. Um, will the Secretary of State ever reopen the Chicago emissions testing facility that was closed? The inconvenience of having to drive 25 miles when there's a five mile, five mile, when there's a five, I guess I don't need to finish the question. When there's a facility five minutes away is inexcusable. I'll let you uh, have that now. Well, since, he's, since he left, uh, <laughs> the answer is yes, we're working on it, and there will be more to come on that. Yeah, great. Ashvin Ladd says, what did you learn from being the former treasurer, and are there any things that you plan to instill as Secretary of State from your time there? Uh, that's a terrific question. I will tell you, so when I became treasurer, I was a young kid. I was full of energy and, and ideas. Um, and what I learned most importantly uh, at a young age was uh, how to manage people and how to work with people. I think we had, uh, again, I was... 30 years old, I think we had like 400 employees, 400-some employees, uh, and every single one of those people was older than me. So here I am, like everyone's boss, and I'm younger than everyone. Uh, And everyone was great. Maybe Scott Kennedy was younger. Uh, And I think Amy Pine was absolutely younger. All right. Almost everyone was older than me. Um, but learning to work with people and, and manage people and to build relationships with the legislature uh, was a godsend. And it was also very easy for me. I think not coming from a political family, having no one in my office had ever run for office um, and just being kind to everyone and working with everyone. I wasn't smart enough to ask, are you a Democrat or are you a Republican? I wasn't smart enough to ask people, are you powerful? Are you not? Are you a rich donor? Or are you not? Are you someone that can be helpful to my career or not? Um, and that, I think, being a little naive was helpful because I worked well with everyone. If someone had a great idea, we implemented it. I had no ego. We worked hard on incredibly important issues. We were the first treasurer in the country, treasurer office in the country, to focus on electric vehicles, E85s. This is in 2006. So we were ahead of the curve on so many of these ideas. We worked hard to make financial literacy mandatory uh, in our schools. I've always believed in transparency. We're the first... For the first time ever, we put all our investments online. So transparency, good government, working well with others, managing people were lessons that I'm very proud to have brought with me 
um, on the campaign trail and in this office. I, I'm also stepping off a little bit. I always um, thought the concept of political campaigns is way more important than people think. It's not just shiny commercials and having a great smile, which um, <laughs> I have both. I I also believe that how someone runs a campaign in many times is how they're able to run their office that they seek. So if you're able to hire people, fundraise, build an organization, focus on mes messaging, get newspaper endorsements, travel the state, have a field team, I, I compare that to being a CEO of a company that starts, achieves success, and winds down all in a year period. And We've run successful campaigns, and I think some of that same momentum uh, we've brought to the Secretary of State's office. Annette Millville from Chicago Children's Advocacy Center. This is a lengthy question, so we'll see how you can. Chicago CAC coordinates investigations of sexual, ab sexual abuse and physical abuse. You know the center well. You're very involved with it. Um, and has also had an initiative called Can Hope, which will follow the Family Justice Center model for adult survivors of sexual assault and domestic violence. Do you support this model for Chicago and potentially the state of Illinois? So what was the? It's about Can Hope. Yes, so, yeah. um, uh, unequivocally, and I, I want to put a plug in for the Chicago Children's, the answer is yes. Chicago Children's Advocacy Center is an outstanding organization, a national leader. Please go visit, please support. Uh, what, what CCAC does um, is help abuse and neglected kids uh, and adults. Uh, it's a place where they can't go, and I've been there before, and you see kids with backpacks who, you know, when they're abused, they can't go tell their mom or their dad they have one or an aunt or uncle, they go straight to CCAC. So I, I am in favor of it. Um, I will tell you, uh, adult uh, sexual assault uh, is a huge deal, and I will always be supportive of everything CCAC does. Great issue. And we do have some ideas that we think we can work on on the periphery to continue to help uh, the work that you all do. Thanks. Monica Fox, where are you? Hi, Monica. The National Kidney Foundation of Illinois um, is asking, when will the information regarding organ, donate, organ donation be returned to the driver's license facilities? I don't to ask her. Um, so we do have uh, organ donation uh, information at our facilities, um, but let me also address that issue. So to those of you who don't know, uh, the Secretary of State's office is also responsible for organ and tissue donation. It's an incredibly important issue. We have the largest program in the United States of America. 7.5 million uh, Illinoisans have do dedicated um, and donated uh, their organs and tissues. And I, and I encourage everyone to do so. Uh, one person can save up to 25 lives. We've met these families. We've met these individuals uh, whose daughters and sons and nieces and nephews would be dead if not for an organ tissue donors. 400 people, uh, 400 Illinoisans every single year die waiting for an organ. So what you'll see over the next uh, few months and years, we're going to spend a lot of time and emphasis on increasing uh, our organ tissue donation awareness. You're going to see a streamlining of services. We're going to make it as easy as possible uh, to anyone who wants to, uh, to donate their organ or tissue. Uh, and we also are going to focus on uh, some underserved communities where the need is even greater um, for organ and tissue donors. Uh, great question. Thanks for bringing that up. 
Gina Evans of Nephew's Case Management Services is asking, how can we simplify the steps to regain licenses after having served time? Um, uh, we're working on that. That's another important issue. Um, we've spent a lot of time looking at um, individuals who um, are looking to, or look, who are getting out of uh, prison um, and they want to turn their lives around, they want to get a job. And what we found is they're able to find a job, they want to turn their lives around. We, we identify them with an employer, the empl employer is willing to hire them, and they don't have a state ID, so they cannot get a job. So one of the things that we're working on is making sure anybody who leaves prison um, has their state ID there. The prison already has all their information, the social security number, their addresses, um, all their vital information. That's something that we're working on uh, with the Department of uh, Illinois Department of Corrections. Uh, I'm proud of that. We're going to get it done uh, and completed very soon. This will help, obviously, reduce recidivism. It'll help job creation. It'll help our employers, uh, and it will help every single community across the state of Illinois. So, you'll more to come on that one as well. Let it not be said that the Secretary of State did not um, carry out his discuss this, this, the things that he discussed during the campaign because you talked about that on the trail. And thank you so much for following through on that. Um, you talked about cyber threats being a top priority. Do you have, as far as the cyber security controls are concerned, do you have a specific timeline of, you know, well, I'm assuming that you do, so I'm going to let you answer it, but do you... <laughs> Did I just answer that question? For you? Um, how are you planning to, you know, block that out? Is it this year, next year? Uh, great question. As I mentioned, this is the most important thing that we're going to do. Um, we uh, hired McKinsey to do a thorough analysis of the technology within the office. I mentioned COBOL and some of the challenges we have. Uh, McKinsey came back and essentially said it's the most outdated technology they've ever seen. And... Not only is that frustrating for Illinoisans, but it puts everyone's uh, data at risk. So we have over 2 billion pieces of data for everyone here. We have our social security numbers. We have your driver's license numbers. We have your credit card information. Cybersecurity is what keeps me up at night every single night. It's easily accessible to hackers. And our office brings in $3.1 billion a year, $700 million of which comes from our website alone. Now, most of that goes to the road fund, and I'm proud of that, to about $2.3 billion. So if there is an outage for even a month or a couple months, imagine what that will do, not just to our finances, but to all of your personal information. To give you an idea, so McKinsey came back and said it will cost about $200 million or so um, to update all the technology in the office and do some of the things that we want to do, digital license, digital, a digital driver's license, digital IDs, um, our Court of Claims, Securities Division, all the divisions within the office. To give you some perspective, we've worked hard to whittle that number down to respect taxpayer dollars. The state of California is spending $415 million to upgrade their DMVs alone. Alone, Texas is spending $285 million on just their DMVs alone. So we are asking the legislature for $200 million um, for every single department, securities, Court of Claims, business services, vehicle services, driver services, our libraries. Um, so one of the reasons that I'm getting in the car and going straight to Springfield after this is to continue to lobby the legislature uh, on uh, this incredibly important issue. Everyone's data is a risk. I didn't mean to have you, uh, there's that scene in an airplane where the guy talks and one sprints out the room. <laughs> I'm not trying to scare you, but all your information is out there, and please help us get $200 million from the legislature. <laughs>
of stuff. And I, and I didn't answer the, the, the question. The timeline, we believe that if we get the funds immediately, it all depends on that. Um, we can get this going within the next, you know, 18 to 24 month get, months, get the cybersecurity done. This takes a lot of time. I mentioned, you know, 2 billion pieces of data, uh, 8.5 million Illinoisans with driver's license and IDs, 11 million uh, vehicles that we have uh, are responsible for the title to. Not a bad way to end a forum by telling you that all your information is out there. Thank you. Thank you so much, sir. Um, I feel like we've heard a lot from about Hospital 2789, but there's so much more that uh, the Secretary of State could continue to talk about. So needless to say, you know, you're coming back. Um, I'm supposed to give you your your membership, which you had a little hiatus on that for a little bit. Um we certainly will look for more information. And if you did not get to um, get your question answered, I think we talked about everything. There was a question about budget, but I'm going to hope that person can talk to you offline. Um, can the can the Secretary of State's uh, office uh, personnel please just stand up for a second? Because they do such hard work. We know that they put in a bulk of work, and if you've been to any of the facilities lately, who's been to a facility? I've been, and man, it was like this. I was like, I can do this. I didn't have to like take a half day or whatever. Um, not that I took a half day before. I don't want Jesse White to think I'm saying that. So thank you so much, Secretary of State. Thank you, everyone, for being here. And we look forward to whatever it is when you feel like you want to come and talk again about the next big issue. Um, please continue to make City Club your home to do so. We appreciate you. Um, all that being said, continue to look at the calendar. We've got a lot of good events coming up. We are adjourned and have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you.